0: Father, we thank you for your creation, both things that we find enjoyable and things that we don't, um, but we know that it all comes from you and it all works toward uh, a good end. We thank you for um, your word, most importantly what it tells us of Christ and what he's done for us on the cross, how you are calling us to yourself to be a people Marked by difference, and um, marked by the image of Christ um, made new, and and continuing to grow, um, as your word says, as as dawn breaking into the day. And we pray that we continue to break into the day, that we shed the 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 trappings of um, our sin and our our fallenness and that you continue to grow us by your spirit into the image of Christ to be real humanity as you've created us to be help us to appreciate this morning what you what you did in time and space in Israel and the loss that you gave and how that points to a greater reality that you would give us wisdom and discernment as we look over um, another aspect of the book of the Covenant this morning in Christ's name Amen we are looking at Exodus twenty-two, one through fifteen. We are continuing um, our study through the book of the covenant, which is that section of laws given to Moses. Well, I'll just ask you, what what's the what's the uh, what's the scene here? We're here. We're, we're reading a bunch of laws. What's the what's the picture we're given? Um, God was on the mountain. He gave the Ten Commandments, the Ten Testimonies of His nature to the people of Israel. Um, they ran from the foot of the mountain to some place far off, and said to Moses, "You speak to God. Don't let God speak to us, lest we die." Right. So what happens? You tell me. What what do we call? They run away. They run away. Moses goes near, draws near to God. And what is the scene that the Bible gives us of where he went? What was the picture? What what was going on in 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 the darkness? Moses goes into the darkness, the cloud and the thunderings and all this kind of stuff going on. He walks into it. They run away from it. And he goes to the mountain to hear from God. And what is he hearing? What is he being given they see the Ten Commandments, or they hear they see. They hear the Ten Commandments. Moses goes in, they don't hear any more from God, but he's getting what we've been going over, right? These laws, these descriptive laws of how the Ten Commandments are to be fleshed out in time and space for the people of Israel. Right? So you have this um, additional commentary, this case law of the Ten Commandments being fleshed out. By God on the mountain, and something struck me this week. How do they know that? They didn't hear God say the Book of the Covenant. Moses had to have told them or it down. How do they know he didn't make it up? It was, consistent with the, with the Ten it was consistent with the Ten Commandments. So, what was that? What did that call on them to do? How do they know it was consistent? They tested it. it. How? Against the word of God. Against what they knew the word of God said, right? Um, they were good Bereans. They had to be. So, the 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 (coughs) whole notion of um, the whole notion of God told me for you to do this just doesn't cut it. They had to take what he said, God told me this on the mountain and compare it to what they remembered and what they heard from God directly from the mountain and compare it. Is it consistent? Is it it true? That's what they had. I mean, that's. So the prescriptive stuff, the eternal, this is the nature of God expressed in you shall know that God's before me. No graven image. Don't use the name in vain. um, Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Those things, as it reflects the nature of God, they had to take that prescriptive moral code that reflected the nature of God and compare it to the laws that Moses had received on his own, in the mountain, in the presence of God, so he said. And they found them to be consistent. They found it, and they had to trust based upon what they compared. Um, experience wasn't enough. They had to use their minds. They had to engage the words and see if it was consistent. Um, does this remind you of another situation where the word of God is more sure than experience? Transformation. The transformation. And who talks about that? First Peter talks about that. We have a more certain word, he says, Then we, Peter says, I was there on the mountain with Jesus. I saw uh, Elijah. I saw Moses. I saw Jesus glorified. And yet, uh, we have something more certain. The word of God, which you do well to pay heed to in the, in the dark time. Um, all right. Let's look at what uh, they had to wrestle with in Exodus 22, 1 through 15. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, He shall repay five oxen for an ox, and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found, breaking in, and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, And it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God, the one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beast, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. What do you do with this? Every word of God is true, profitable, for exhortation, teaching, correction, and reproof. What do you do with this? If a man steals. This section uh, provides some case law on applying what commandment do you think? I'm just curious. You think? Um, The Eighth Commandment. And it's not exhaustive, but it provides examples of how the prescriptive law is to be applied What's the penalty for theft of an ox or sheep? Five and four. Why the difference between ox and sheep? What do you think? Is it because oxen have to train or whatever? Like okay. And sheep just kind of, sit there? Kind of <laughs> sit there and safely graze? right. Um, There's like more work and time and effort. And more benefit too. Yeah, more work in training them, true. And also more benefit that ox can do a little bit more. Uh, than sheep. You don't really yoke sheep. Um. Are they making sacrifices at this time? Okay. That's a good point. So these animals are worth more because of the sacrifices. Yeah. Or, or future sacrifices. Sure. This law is going to... It's going to carry forward. That's true. There's a sacrifice value. Um. Four to five times the value of the animal. Why? Why is it four to five? Why not just repay animal for animal? What why such a high cost? I'm just paying for it anyways. So it's a deterrent. If I just have to produce another animal, this intentional theft. Well, what do we see by the guy stealing this? What what do we see evidence of, of why this is a, a a theft? What is he doing with it? What does it say? If he if he sells it or kills it, what is involved there? What's the point of that? Why would he do that? If he sells it, what is he getting? If he kills it, what is he doing? Food or possibly selling the meat. Yeah, so it's for his own enrichment off of another's property. That's theft. <clears throat> Paying four or five times the value of the animal, what do you think would be the result of that? Poverty? <laughs> possibly. Possibly. For the other's benefit, it's not worth it. It's It's a deterrent. It's a punitive measure. Here we have, for those of you who are keeping up with the jurisprudence elements here, a punitive element. Punitive damages are imposed upon the thief. This is a civil and a criminal penalty. Punitive damages. All right. (laughs) I, I I wish that we could make these arguments to juries. It's biblical. All right, so, um, look look at uh, look at in verse four. What happens if in verse four, if the animal is merely found in his possession? Twofold. It's twofold. Why Why do you think it's less? There's, there's not really a direct profit that he made from the animal, and, and there is some indication that maybe it wasn't his intent to really steal it, steal it, right? Uh, there, there's, a, it's a hard issue there. He hasn't, maybe he, he regretted the fact that he stole it, uh, and, and just kept it for, you know, whatever. So there's a reduced penalty uh, of, of two times. Um, parallel laws in the, in the region. Uh, they often made the penalty 30 times if it belonged to the state or the temple and only 10 times if it belonged to a private citizen. So if the thief could not pay 30 times, now that's punitive, 30 times uh, the value of the animal, if you couldn't pay that, he was put to death. Or 10 times, if he couldn't pay it, either way, he's put to death. That's the, that's the culture around them. Um, so God's law, more onerous or less onerous than the culture around Less. These laws are more strict than the book of the covenant. And, and what's this bit about breaking in? The daytime, the yeah, what's up with that? Why is that, why is that significant? Don't know ah. What, what do you mean by that? Explain a little bit more. Why would someone break night? At night. And the, the, the verb here for breaking in has the idea of tunneling in. Shawshank Redemption, the bad way, you know, not getting out of prison and getting into the house. And so the, the idea is if somebody's tunneling into your house at night, they're looking uh, for some serious, I mean that's a lot of work to go through to, to get into somebody's house, and if you're asleep and you wake up and you startle them, um, there, there's probably danger of loss of life in that situation. Uh, the thief is attempting to enter the house at night, and the idea is he's willing to harm the residents if they wake up. What does this point to? What defense toward a uh, killing another person? What defense does this anticipate? Protecting yourself, Protecting yourself self-defense. It seemed to be a, a justified killing. The homeowner is free from guilt from the death of the thief or it uses the term here, guilt of bloodshed on him. But if you catch him in the daylight, what happens? If you catch him in the daylight and kill him. Why? Why does it, why does it say he's, he's guilty of blood guilt there? OK, because what are we valuing here? His life. His life. The value of the, of, of the thief, the life of the thief, is more important than the value of the property here. right? And in nighttime, the danger is the loss of human life. So what does it tell you about God? He cares about? people. People more than stuff, even people in gross sin. I mean, let's all thieving is gross sin, and yet he here shows mercy to a thief. Um, he provides some some protection even for the thief. Stealing like this is not uh, worthy of death, and there's compassion here that you don't see in the surrounding cultures. It's the stuff that matters. All right. What what about uh, what's the penalty for the thief? Um, uh, if he's caught in the daylight. Full, full restitution. And What does that point us back to? Full restitution in this case would be what? The property that he stole. Property he stole, if it's an ox, four, five, five times for the ox, four times for the sheep, if that's if he's killed it or, or sold it. If it's still in his possession, then you have two times. So it kicks you back up to the top. Um, if he can't pay it, is he is he drawn and quartered, yeah. sent to the four corners of the country, sold? sold. sold. He, sold. The ditch, he sold. So he keeps his life, and the people that he stole from get to get some sort of. So he keeps his life, and, he, and the people that he stole from get some restitution from him, either in labor or a master buys his debt and he works it off for the rest of his life. The, it's the six-year six rule again, isn't it? It kicks us back to chapter 21, the indentured servant, the slavery laws that were there. Well, wasn't there a cycle, too? So it, would just go, so it might have been one year, it might have been two, or three years. Was Depending was if, the, it's a, if it's a year of jubilee, if that comes in every 50 years, you have that. You have, in addition to the maximum of six years, seventh year go free, you have, if you're going to steal, it seems like the 49th year would be the one to do it. <laughs> so, but there's this grace that's given in a cycle of working off your debt, working off your criminal debt um, through this indentured servanthood kind of thing. All right. That's interesting. But what's this deal about the destruction of a field? We have two scenarios here. What are they? What's the first scenario? Verses 5 and 6. Livestock does what? What is it doing? Some guy has a bunch of sheep, or actually in Texas, some guy has a bunch of cows, and he doesn't fence them in, you know. um, Give me land lots of land, don't fence me in. And he's mad about somebody else having land, and, and they have a fence. And so somehow he lets his cows in to another man's field. And what do cow- well cows are going to do? What cows do, which is eat, and they don't stop, and they trample everything, and yes, it's fertilized for another time. But right now, my crops are ruined. So, what is the penalty for being negligent, or, or I guess in some cases, maybe even uh, intentional? Um, yeah. This notice the language here. Is, this is not uh, incidental grazing. It's it implies devastation to this guy's field. What's the penalty? Full restitution. Full restitution from the best from the best of his own field or flock or whatever it is for of his own vineyard. Yeah. So uh, not only do you have to pay, but you got to pay from your best. Um, not. Five times the ox, but still a punitive measure to keep people from being ridiculous with this stuff. All right. The next case deals with the negligence of setting fire. Um, Tammy uh, grew up kind of where we live now, but she lived up the road. Where we live now actually used to be owned by uh, a man uh, who uh, who burned brush often, and. Uh, He got bored, so he burned brush, and I remember, uh, I've heard stories. I I really think Tammy's parents should write a book. Um, And they woke up one night, and the place was ablaze. Well, the whole back 10 acres. The back 10 acres was on fire. It wasn't our property. It was was his property, but... It's a big brush fire. He had been drinking. Well, he he was a little (laughs) inebriated, but throwing some of it on the fire apparently as well. And... um, and so they had this huge fire in their, in their property. Could have easily come over to yours and, and burned the whole place down. Um, we have a similar situation here. Part of clearing brush then was to, to set the, 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 the weeds and the, and, the, and the brambles and all that kind of stuff on fire. Um, here it says, uh, with this fire, it doesn't talk about the person's heart in doing it, does it? It just says if they do it it could be just simple negligence, throwing a little new wine on the fire, and he's got a hand. It, it it could just be a thing. What what's the what's the uh, what's the response? What does he have to do? What's the penalty? No fault penalty here. Replace it. Replace it. Full restitution. Um, but in the situation before it, where there's some some sort of intent, maybe there's there's. The best of the field, he has to give. Here, it's just full restitution, not necessarily from the best of the field. What does that tell you? What matters? The heart, the motive behind it, just completely pulls it out of the air. Jesus does on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's about the heart. It just, it, I don't know where he got it. He just kind of made it up, I guess. It's always been in the law. It's always been about the heart. All right, number. Uh, let's see, verse seven. This progression, do you see the this, this cycle of progression that we've seen in these laws? It starts with the most onerous aspect of theft and then works its way down to ah, negligence, ah, just really not, really nobody's fault, it just kind of happens. And here we have this thing. What's going on in verse 7? You, you, you loan your neighbor uh, your rake or um, your, your, uh, your, your X-Men trilogy, or you, you, you loan your neighbor your ox to work in his field, maybe he's running some hard times, what happens? It's, strange it disappears. it's crazy, isn't it, how sometimes that happens? It goes into the void of, uh, of bailment. Um, it's gone. It gets stolen, uh, and the thief is caught. What do we look at? kicks us back up, doesn't it, to verse 4. What, who, becomes in the line of, who comes in the line of fire if no thief is caught? The guy who borrowed it. Well, that's strange. Why would that be the case? He's the last person to see it. He had possession of it. He should have taken better care of it, right? He might have taken the goods and blamed it on the six-fingered man. You, you never know. He's got to be taken to the judges to see if he is the thief. Why is this matter handled by the judges? I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, pfft, of, of course, he took Change. it. The matter of the heart. And what are the judges to do? To discern. They're to discern this man's heart? Really? You can look at the, of the facts, man. Hey, they're supposed to judge this man's heart? That's a tall order. Why take it to the judges? Why not just let them settle it like men? Plowshares at dawn. Until they take it to the judges, is there any proof has has, have the facts been analyzed? They have not. So you have here, rather than emotional rush to judgment, I'm in the circumstances, heat of the moment, which basically kicks us back to murder again. Um, You have here cool, calm, discernment and wisdom by men who are trusted with the office of judge. Now when we hear, and we've seen this again and again, it keeps going back to the judges, when you see in the prophets the condemnation of the judges of Israel showing preferential treatment toward the rich and not the poor, do you see how devastating that is based upon how their system of laws works? It was left to the discernment and wisdom of these men, and if they're perverting justice, well that's just chaos. Let's just plowshares at dawn, right? It protects both the original owner and the neighbor. If the neighbor is found to be innocent, there's no warrant for vengeance by the owner. Who pays in this situation? Who pays? If the guy's found to be innocent, who pays? The owner pays. What does he pay? He's the one that's been wronged, right? It's a hedge against false accusations. So we have here a punitive measure, loser pays, uh, a punitive measure against uh, violation of the, uh, the, the ninth commandment, right? Don't slander, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. All right. Loser pays. Uh, if the neighbor is innocent, he's been falsely accused. Compensation is for the slandering of his good name, which is which is also theft, by the way. What if the animal just dies? What's the, what's the procedure for an animal who just dies? I mean, sometimes that happens. An oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not. You an oath by the Lord. Sent to the judges to be so, they're the judges, and they have to swear an oath before God to the truth of the matter, one way or the other, the guy who, who's accused. Um, he, he makes an oath of his innocence, and the owner must accept it. What's the idea behind there? If he makes the oath falsely, I swear to the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. If he perjures himself, what's the understanding there? What has he just done? He's lied, and what else? But the judgment from the Lord bears false witness. He bears false witness, he's lied, he's done what though? He's taken an oath before God, he's he's, he's used the name of God for a false purpose. What has he done? Used the name of the Lord in vain. What's the understanding there? If he does it falsely, who's the judge? God's the judge. Always a good answer. God is the judge. If it's really stolen by a thief and they can't find him, the owner, the neighbor, is responsible for the cost of the animal. Negligence is assumed, but he's not considered a thief. They catch the thief, the thief pays double, the neighbor just makes good on what was lost. What happens if it's killed uh, by a predator? Some kind of lion takes it. Takes evidence of what? Of the torn animal. There's a, there's a statement in Amos 3, talks about uh, taking an ear of the, of the lamb or whatever to, to, show, to prove innocence. Using that as an example of, um, of evidence uh, in, in the prophet. They, they're supposed to take parts of the animal that were left over from the attack as, as, um, as evidence. Do you think of borrowing your neighbor's rake in terms of the Eighth Commandment? If you break it or lose it, what should you do if we were to look to verses 14 and 15 as models? Buy two of them. Buy two of them. i trying to think if my garage would be full or empty. <laughs> full compensation is due if the animal is, dies or is injured. It, it ensures that the borrower takes care of the property as if it were his own. What if the owner is present? What happens? Present or the, the, the animal dies. He won't have to pay because- the borrower won't have to pay because... It's cost of doing business. He's there with the animal. It's assumed that he'll take care of his own property when he's there, right? He can also see if there's no negligence. And then he'll also see there's no negligence, that's right. He would prevent negligence if he were seeing it going on because he wants to protect his own goods. Um, Borrow is not culpable in that situation if something happens to the animal. Also, if the is hi- hired, that's the cost of doing business. All right. Kind of, yes, sir. It's kind of assumed that there's always a hiring fee for borrowing. <clears throat> yeah sort of it will says if if he was if he was hired yeah it does it does say so so i would think that that would be the case in a business situation but if it's just your you know borrowing from your dad or borrowing from your third cousin twice removed on your mother's side you're actually supposed to charge interest on anything I don't know if it's legal, I mean, a legal obligation to charge interest, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of people think of it in those terms. Um, barring books, barring movies, though, I don't, I don't know. That. You're going to have to give me another $15. Yeah, I mean, this book cost me $15. I need $1.50 from you as down payment. On the, um, we, talked about, we talked about this uh, when we went over the Eighth Commandment. There's irony here, isn't there, in these laws? There's an irony. What is a thief trying to do? Get something for nothing. Get something for nothing. Enrich himself off of the loss of someone else. What's the penalty? He gets, he gets enriching the other person. Poverty is the penalty, right? He unriches uh, himself. <laughs> I don't know. He gets, poorer. He gets pur- poorer. We could coin phrases, I guess, in, in, in uh, Exodus here. If he steals. If he's caught, he pays at least double and then ends up actually impoverishing himself. And we talked about this when we went over the Eighth Commandment. When we steal, we're not just stealing from our neighbor. We're stealing from God. It's all God's. He owns the earth and everything in it. We're stewards. And so how we treat other people and their property uh, displays how we treat God. It's his stuff. For the commandments... It says in Romans 13, which y'all know this. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. What word is it? Shall love love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do that one without the first one, so it's true, just not the verse. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's a hard issue. All of this is a hard issue. Love does no harm to your neighbor. What love is. Okay. So you can assess your actions. Are my actions going to do harm to my neighbor or to do good? And what does that call for? Are my actions going to do harm to my neighbor or do good? What is that calling us to do? Discernment. Discernment. Wisdom informed by Scripture. It's a hard issue. How we treat things we borrow from others also reveals our hearts. Are we different? Are we different? This is a very simple thing. I mean, we get, we get murder stuff. I mean, I, uh, we get don't steal an ox. But even borrowing, are we different? Are we distinct? Do we display love for neighbor by taking care of their things, not because we value the stuff, but because we want to serve the person and not mess up their stuff? Are we different? Do we bear his name in vain in this, in this area? Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? Why did Paul write this to, Timothy, uh, to Titus? So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Why not pilfer? Because the gospel's at stake. It's a matter of the heart. And our actions and our um, display of the worth of the other person about how we take care of their stuff adorns or tarnishes our witness to the gospel. The gospel's at stake. It's a heavy burden, isn't it? It points to a larger reality, you know. This Take care of something that someone else has entrusted to you. Second Timothy two, one, chapter one. Or I'm sorry, Second Timothy one fourteen. Paul tells Timothy this: by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted. To you. By the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. We've been given a bailment. We're borrowers. It's a long term lease. But we've been entrusted with something. What have we been entrusted with? Excuse me. With what have we been entrusted? It's killing me. The gospel. And the gospel is what? What does it involve? The work of whom? His son. That's a valuable commodity, so to speak. And we've been entrusted with the gospel, both the proclamation of it and the display the effects of it and he's given us his Holy Spirit as our guarantee. Again, a ailment. The command to guard another's property as your own points to the trust we've been given of the most precious possession there is. Don't waste or devalue what's been entrusted to us. Isn't that what this points to? Our um, faithfulness in guarding another's property of preferring one another over ourselves and even something as basic as borrowing books and movies and those kinds of things doesn't it point to ultimately the heart that we have to have in entrusting and uh, having been entrusted with the gospel itself it affects everything it permeates everything but you can't do it can you I can't don't we fail here So what's the answer? Steal stuff and move on? What's the answer? If I can't do this, if I can't display the gospel and even the most basic thing of borrowing a movie and not returning it, what's the answer for me? Oh, wretched man that I am. He goes on to say, oh, well, he says this a little head in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. But I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. We fail. We blight the trust. He's there watching over his stuff. He's made atonement for us, even in these basic, silly-seeming sins. Try that, saying that ten times. The gospel covers even simple things like, oops, I've lost your movie. And yet, those negligence, that act of negligence displays, again, our fallenness, that we don't care about somebody else enough to take care of the stuff we borrow and yet Christ has even paid for that. One, we should be convicted by it. Number two, we should be thankful that he bore that as well. Any other comments, questions on that? Why would you want this, the thief that broke into your house in the daytime to be your slave? I'd sell him. Yeah. I mean, just practical matter. Make him work in the field. There's a house out there. Can't break anything out there. Isn't Israel also, a, you know, a foreshadowing of the church sure. and how we should be toward each other, right. brothers and sisters in Christ? And, and when people do mess up big time against you, forgiving them and giving them a chance to make it right. We don't really have an indentured servanthood thing within the church, though. That's true. That would be that would a, be an interesting but development. Of, of asking for forgiveness. <laughs> Sure. And what about sending the but in the in the case of someone becoming then a slave and you sell them and you don't churches sometimes ask people to leave. It's not the same as selling them, but it's the same idea of removing moving the first time. That's interesting. Dangerous? Is is excommunication, church discipline in its yeah. ultimate form, a form of selling yeah. someone over uh, Paul used that language actually when he talked about the guy in First <coughs> Corinthians, deliver him over to Satan. That he might be, what was, what was, the, what was the concept? That, that, that he, might be, he might be, restored. he might be saved. He might be restored. But that was the idea of somebody who was completely unrepentant. Right, right. Well, he's a thief. He's a thief of what's been entrusted to him. Right. It's the same kind of idea. That's interesting. I like that. Wish I'd have thought of it. Could have talked more about it. No, I'll, I'll try it another time. We'll get on the thievery laws again, I'm sure. We've got Leviticus to go through. That's going to be awesome. Yes? Uh-huh. <laughs> one of these notes, too, is that it seemed like they didn't trust the people They were letting their, them hold their animals. Uh-huh. So if I was going to give one of my animals to somebody, I would trust them. Uh-huh. So they wouldn't need to prove to me that it was killed. They would just need to tell me. You know, does that right, sense? right. So, I mean, I wonder, if, is are these laws like made in the worst-case scenario? Is that kind of how laws are usually? I, well, yeah. Law, laws for whom? Laws for the lawbreaker right? Um, those who uh, live according to the Spirit have no, there, there is no law for your living in the Spirit. It, you're living, but if you live according to the flesh, if you're a lawbreaker, that's what laws are for. So yeah, I think, and again, it sets, what is the law to do? It's our tutor that leads us to Christ. It sets in stark relief the darkness of our own hearts and how we need a Savior. And so, it. we start out well, we start out zealous, um, You'll see in uh, "How Shall We Then Live?" Uh, a comment on the Roman culture and the elite in the Roman culture that um, that they stopped being creative. They stopped uh, being um, zealous to 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 uh, seek what is after seek uh, uh, things that are beautiful and true and all of that. They stopped doing that and they got to be very apathetic and socially indulgent. We start well, and and that was the beginning. The end of their culture was. Apathy, what's good for me, what can I have? And then chaos happens. So give us a king because we want control because the chaos, everybody's seeking their own, everybody does what's right in their own eyes. That's the cycle, by the way. I wonder where. Anyway, um, so there's this whole idea of we start well, we get apathetic, and the heart starts bubbling up of what's there. Um, I, I start not caring about my neighbor's stuff. I'll, get, I'll make all the promises on the front end to get him to deliver me his stuff, and then after that, you know, I'm, eh, he's rich anyway, right? So, but the law convicts us of that. It shows us that. It points that out to us and that we can't obey ultimately because of the nature of our heart and we need Christ. You know, we, in our culture, there's a saying that said, don't sweat the small stuff. Hmm. Everything we do is an expression of our worldview, what we trust, what we believe. Um, we're either living consistently with what our mouth says or we're not. and And he points that out here, even in the very basic things of borrowing a rake or a mule or ox or something The X-Men Trilogy. Yes. We won't get into that story. (laughs) Tammy wants to, but I'm not going to let her. Um, Anything else? That's 2 Timothy 1. Like verse 14, we can't do it, but by the Holy Spirit, that's Mm -hmm. where our power is. Right. It's not within us. And um, it says earlier in that same passage that it's not because of our good works that we're being saved, Mm -hmm. but... You're not saved by honoring your neighbor's goods. You're saved to honor your neighbor's goods and to protect their goods for them. Good. Yeah, 2 Timothy 1. All right, let's pray. Father, we come away from these discussions uh, on the law, I I do at least, feeling very heavy and convicted. Um, your law probes those uh, places in our heart where we don't attend to often, full of cobwebs, and shines light in that corner, and, um, and convicts us of the apathy we have toward obeying you, even in the smallest degree. But you're king there too, and we should submit to you there as well. Forgive us when we haven't. Do what only you can do by your spirit and incline our hearts to love your law in all areas, in all facets, so that we display the goodness of Christ in how we treat our neighbor. That we adorn the gospel and by credibility through our actions with those who don't know you, um, by how we are different in the way we handle our money, the way we handle our our relationships with our neighbors and their things the care we take for another displays the care that you've had for us in Christ and so we pray for hearts that are made willing in the day of your power even in this area we pray for the service to come we pray for Philip that you would give him the words to speak that would proclaim your word faithfully again um, and that we would be willing hearers and not just hearers father but doers as well